I'm so, so blessed when we worship you. What I think of this song we just sang. I appreciate what Jeremy said that there's those lines apply to me. Sometimes I feel like every single line applies to me on a particular day. And there's days like today where I go, wow, the, when I'm tired and when I am broken, or it, it resonates. It resonates with me. And God, I want to remember before I get to anything else this morning that your love remains. Your love remains. God, this morning as we, we begin the summer series on Acts, and each one of us is coming in different places and different things are going on and lots of things in life are happening, good things and bad things and hard things. Help us to remember that your love remains. And God, we remember that one of the key expressions of your love to us is that you gave us the Holy Spirit. For those of us who are right with you have received the free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. That when we are right with you, you've sent your Holy Spirit to work alongside us and with us and around us in this wonderful way. Help us to grab hold of that fact as we look here at Acts this morning. Lord, I, I trust you're going to overcome any, any tiredness or brokenness I'm feeling in my life. Lord, I pray you have things even to teach me this morning. Help us through this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we are starting a summer series on the book of Acts. A summer series on the book of Acts. And so, where better place to start when we're going to look at Acts than talking about what is the background of Acts. Now, those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the Bible per se, and if you aren't, welcome. Glad you're here. This is a place where everybody is welcome. Acts is one of the books of the Bible. It's found in the New Testament. It occurs after the Gospels, which are the four stories of Jesus, and then we have the book of Acts, and then there's a series of letters after that. And so, who wrote the book of Acts? Acts is a letter. Who wrote it? Well, Fortunately, most scholars agree that it was a man named Luke, and Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke also, strangely enough, wrote the letter in the Bible called Luke. And so Acts becomes almost a sequel. Don't we love sequels? I know we're living in an era of reboots, right? In Hollywood, we reboot them, but we also live in an era of sequels. And so Acts, in some ways, is the sequel to the book of Luke. And so it was written. When was it written? The book of Acts is likely written, scholars agree, sometime between the years 60 and 70 AD. So right there within striking distance, if Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, somewhere around AD 30, 33, within most of our lifetime span of when that event happened and when the events that took place in Acts happened. Now, who did he write this to? It was, it was a story, but it was a letter. At the very beginning of the letter, in, uh, in Luke chapter 1, or it also says it in Luke chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, he says to my dear Theophilus, which is a great Greek name. Um, I wonder, are Zach and Gretchen here this morning? Are they having their baby? Are they having their baby? 
soon. They're having their baby. Anyway, she's like a week overdue. I was going to ask him, are you going to name your child Theophilus? <laughs> Such a strong name. Uh, probably not very cultural for us. So Theophilus, we believe, scholars believe, Theophilus was a Christian Gentile, not a Jew, but a Gentile. We see him, he was also the person who the letter of Luke was addressed to, Theophilus. And we don't really know much about who Theophilus was, but the name Theophilus does mean, in the Greek, it means friend of God. So many scholars believe this friend of God was generic and maybe not actually a specific person. And so my question to you is, are you a friend of God? Do you consider yourself a friend of God? Because if you consider yourself a friend of God, then Luke has, in effect, written this book to you. And so we need to see this book as one that's addressed to us. Now, Acts is... There's different kinds of books in the Bible. Acts is historical storytelling. And in fact, it is the only book in the New Testament that is really historical storytelling centered around people who are following Jesus. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are also storytelling, but those are focused on Jesus and the story of Jesus. Then if you go back to the Old Testament, we have lots of stories. We all remember the stories, right? The Sunday school stories about Moses and Abraham and Samson and Esther and Ruth and so on and so forth. That was storytelling as well. Those are the patriarchs. Those are the heroes of the faith. And all of them are precursors to Jesus. So you have stories about precursors of Jesus. You have the stories of Jesus. And then we have Acts. And Acts are the stories of Christians. It is the only scriptural storytelling record we have of Christian life in the Bible. Everything else, once you get past Acts, we get into instructions. Paul and Peter and James, they've written these letters as instruction. It's not storytelling. You get to the book of Revelation, it's prophecy. It's sort of future storytelling, but it's not giving us a picture of what Christian life is like. And so, because that's the case, we need to pay attention as Christians, we need to pay attention to how do Christians live? And Acts gives us a picture into that. So, now, Acts is uh, many, many chapters long, and I thought the best way for us to uh, really present that is I'm just going to read the entire book of Acts this morning. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like two hours later, I get through it. No. Besides, we live in a technological era, and who wants to read the whole thing? Give me the cliff notes. Give me the the uh, the tweet. <laughs> 140. Can we get Acts into 140 characters? Probably not. But anyway, I decided I would write a synopsis of Acts because I've always been intrigued by the storyline that is in Acts. I've always thought, man, Acts would make a great movie. And so I've written this little synopsis, and I'm going to read it to you, sort of humbly. There's probably a lot of ways you could summarize Acts, but here's what I've written, so I'm just going to read it. And this will give you an idea of the story for those of you who've heard it before, who say, oh yeah, I remember that, and that's how it fits together. For those of you maybe who've never heard it before, you'll go, oh, this is what's going on in Acts. All right, so we pick up the story. Again, this is a sequel. So we pick up the story with the first disciples. They're staring into the sky Watching a departing Jesus. 
With instruction from angels, they return to Jerusalem and begin to organize and plan their future. God sends his Holy Spirit upon them, and they begin the work of evangelism, seeing thousands saved by the power of the good news of Jesus. Peter's oration and the performance of miraculous healings, they land he and others in front of Jewish leaders who are seeking to silence this new faith. These believers, they're beaten, but released. And the disciples begin to organize their faith into a church, a model for how these new called Christians should relate to each other. As the church grows, they face persecution in Jerusalem, but they continue to add new believers to their ranks while solidifying their leadership and their organizational structures. However, the execution of one prominent believer named Stephen scatters the church and sends the first disciples into hiding. But God's plan is not thwarted by this dispersion as we see new converts to the faith in places such as Samaria and Ethiopia. Meanwhile, the leader of the Jewish opposition to Jesus' followers, a Pharisee named Saul, experiences a miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul becomes, Saul becomes not only a believer, but a vocal and ardent champion of this new faith. Peter also oversees the spread of the good news, helping non-Jews, including a Roman centurion, discover a right relationship with God and receive the Holy Spirit. Thrown in prison by the Jews, Peter makes a miraculous escape and continues his work. Saul, who is now called Paul, embarks upon a missionary journey, taking the good news to Cyprus and the interior of Asia Minor. But all is not roses for the new faith as conflict arises between the leaders in Jerusalem as well as between Paul and his companions. Fortunately, unity is restored, and once it is, Paul takes the gospel on two separate journeys to Macedonia as well as to the heart of Greece, including the cities of Athens and Corinth, followed by a trip to the west coast of Asia Minor. Along the way, he sees believers made, churches planted, and the local cultures begin to change. This does not come without a cost as Paul and his companions face prison, torture, stoning, and beatings at the hands of angry mobs. At God's command, Paul returns to Jerusalem, even though he knows it means certain imprisonment at the hands of the Jewish authorities and possibly even death. And so it comes to pass. Paul is jailed by the Roman authorities and put on trial for his faith before the Jewish king and the Roman leaders. Although no criminal charges stick, Paul appeals to the Caesar, which books him a one-way passage to Rome. During the transit across the Mediterranean, the ship encounters violent and dangerous weather, eventually wrecking on the island of Malta. Paul shares his faith with his shipmates and the islanders, and then continues on to Rome. Upon arriving there, Paul lives under house arrest and continues to spread the good news in the heart of the Roman Empire. And that's the synopsis of Acts. And you're probably saying, where's the climax? Right? Anyone know anything good about good storytelling? You have a building up of the plot, and there's a climax, and then a tailing off. And there is no climax in the book of Acts. And so I want to talk about the end of Acts, right? We, so let's look at Acts again as a whole. We looked at this synopsis, and so we start, and it starts, and there's a small group of people, and they're watching Jesus go up into heaven. 
And then in Acts 28, 28, at the very end, Paul gets to Rome. It says he lived there in Rome. And so they've gone from this little group of people, and now all of a sudden Paul is here in Rome, on the other side of the empire. And yet, I love this part, just a few verses earlier, Paul says, we found brothers there. We found brothers there, which means Paul didn't bring the gospel to Rome. It was already there. God was already at work and already spreading it. It wasn't dependent upon Paul. It was dependent on God. So we go back to that idea of here we go and he gets there and God's already there and there's really no climax to the story. And it's because I really believe the book of Acts doesn't actually end. There's not an end. In Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus said this. He said, this gospel of the kingdom, the good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's where the climax will be. The climax will be in the future when the gospel is preached to all the nations. And so I think what that means for us is that we are living in the book of Acts. We are living in the book of Acts. Now, if you want to know what this good news is about, I have a slide here. August, you could go ahead and put it up on the screen. I did salvage one slide. Here's this. uh, Many of us have been here before. We've seen this. This is a, a diagrammatic presentation of what the gospel is about. And I'll just walk you through it really quick. So we have God's design. You see that circle. It says God's design. And God designed the world, the universe, to be perfect. And to be this wonderful place without sin, without pain. And yet something happened that took us out of that and it was sin. And it wasn't just, oh, some people sin sometimes, it was my sin and your sin. And it took us into a realm of brokenness. And that's where we live and that's where we see, you know, we, we live in a, in a time and an age where there's lots of really bad stuff going on. People could say, why is that? And it's like, well, it's because God had a design and God's design is broken. And so now we have a lot of hard stuff going on, and we, we live as a, as a result of the consequences of our sin in a place that's broken. And so we live in this brokenness, and you see up there it says good deeds and religion and pleasure and philosophy. There's all these different ways that we go, I'm going to try to get out of my brokenness. I'm going to try to get out of this broken realm. If I could just be good enough, if I can just be religious enough, if I can just have enough fun or think through it, I'm going to get out of it. And yet that brokenness is like a, it has gravity and it pulls us back in because those are our own attempts. And so what happens? You see there, there's that white arrow. God's design, God reaches out and gives us Jesus Christ. And so you see Jesus Christ, what's the big deal about Jesus Christ? He was God in the flesh. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died and in his death took the place of us, of me. Took the penalty for my sin. He was innocent. He was crucified. But then, that wasn't the end. As we saw at the beginning of Acts. He rose again and he ascended into heaven. And because of that, you can see the red arrows there. We have an opportunity to get out of brokenness. We get to turn and believe. And then we get to recover and pursue. And the way we do that 
as we believe. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we can have a right relationship with God. Eventually, we'll get to have the fullness of relationship with him in heaven for eternity. And in the meantime, as we turn and believe, we have the opportunity to walk away from the brokenness in our life and walk towards God's design. And I truly believe the book of Acts helps us there with that recover and pursue. It gives us a model for how we can recover and pursue. And so we are living in the book of Acts. So how do we make an application? How do we walk that out? How do we walk it out in the book that we're living in? Well, I think we need to look at this. We need to say, what, it's the acts of what? You know, I love the title, acts. Okay. Someone just walked up to you and said, acts. You'd be like, what is that? The acts of what? Right? The acts of what? Well, I think there's a few options of what we could think. What, what is it the acts of? Now, some people would say it is the acts of the apostles. Right? The apostles are sort of those early Christians, the ones who are walking with Jesus. And in, a lot of times you'll see a lot of translations of the Bible, older versions, they'll actually title the book, The Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. So is it that? Is it the Acts of the Apostles? Well, in one sense it is. But people who generally hold to that view that this is the Acts of the Apostles, they fall into a school of thinking called cessationism cessationism. And what that means is the idea that God and the Holy Spirit worked in a certain way in that time to establish the church and then it no longer works that way. There were miracles that took place and the church was established in a certain way in that certain time but that doesn't happen anymore. And I don't really like that view because I think it discards or diminishes the power of God. It says God could only work that way at that time and now he doesn't work that way. I don't think that's really true. I think if, if, if that view is true, then Acts is just really history and it doesn't really have much to offer us. If it doesn't apply now, if it only applied then, then what would really be the point of us reading it? It would just be kind of a nice story. So I believe that what we see in Acts is a confirmation of Jesus' ministry, but that's not all. I think it is example to follow. Now, other people would say, would kind of go to the other extreme and say, well, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Miraculous. You know, as we walk through that synopsis, there's all these things going on and people getting out of prison and people being healed and raised from the dead and all kinds of crazy stuff going on and some people think that is an absolute blueprint for the Christian life. And we might call that way of thinking sensationalism. So we had cessationism, and then the other hand we have sensationalism, where you start to believe, hey, Christianity has to look like exactly it did in Acts. And they begin to say, God's power is only displayed through the miraculous and exactly the miraculous that we see in Acts. And we don't need to think anything about historical context. And as you go down that road, you start to realize, ah, these miracles and 
signs and wonders and people speaking in tongues and, and so on and so forth, the descending of the Holy Spirit as fire, that has to happen now exactly that same way. And if it doesn't, then your faith isn't valid. Right? And I would disagree with that as well because I think an emphasis there gets placed upon experience and upon what I'm doing and on some supposed grand displays of power. And if those things don't happen exactly the way they happen then, I'm probably going to start making things up to make it look that way. And so I don't think cessationism or sensationalism are really what this is about. So if I don't think it's really the acts of the apostles or really the acts of the miraculous, what is it? Well, I think if we go into the middle, we're going to find that it's really the acts of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a balance in that view where we can recognize that, yeah, the Spirit has the power. He does have the power. He can will and work and move in any way possible. But it's up to Him and it's how He chooses to move. And so we don't discard it. We don't say, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. We say those things can happen, but it's really up to the Spirit to move it. And we try to remain open. And we try to be on the lookout. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about bolo? Be on the lookout. We want to bolo for the Holy Spirit. And that's the balanced view, I think, that we need to be looking for. And so I think then we have to ask the question when we look at Acts and we go, man, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening there. Does God still do crazy stuff today? Is God still on the move? Yes, I think God is truly still on the move. And I had a couple stories I wanted to share this morning. I could probably share a lot, and some of you may be thinking in your own life, yeah, this thing has happened, and I really see the Spirit at work. Well, I just wanted to share a couple, just in case maybe you hadn't heard about these things um, recently, and uh, just right here in the midst of our, our church. Most of you probably know uh, Pat and Emily Meyer. I think they're in Sunday school this morning. Um, but about three years ago, uh, Emily all of a sudden became very sick. Um, my wife and I, we went over to visit and she basically was confined to the sofa. Couldn't get up. Was just having very, very strange, this whole myriad of symptoms that really seemed to be unrelated and didn't really understand what was going on and started going to doctors and trying to get diagnoses and was not able to get a real good diagnosis. Until at some point through uh, talking to some other people, realized, I think I might have Lyme disease. And so she went and got checked with a specialist for that and found out that, yeah, indeed, she had Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is a really scary thing because there's not really a cure. You don't go in and say, here's the treatment and this works. It's the kind of thing a lot of people have Lyme disease and they can't get cured. They try all kinds of things. I heard stories of people going and checking themselves into rehab clinics uh, for months at a time. People flying across the country to do all different kinds of things, changing diets and habits and all kinds of things and not getting better. And many people end up spending the rest of their life in a wheelchair. And that's what Emily was facing and it got worse because they realized she just had a baby within sort of the last two years. And they had been wondering about little Cora and she'd been having some developmental delays. So they tested Cora and Cora had Lyme disease. 
And then they tested Pat, and Pat had Lyme disease. And so the outlook wasn't very good without the Holy Spirit. And so they began to pray and they began to seek the scripture and Emily just really sensed the spirit moving in her life and she came to a a verse that she really felt like God was saying, I am the healer. I can heal you and I will. And so she began to pray and we began to pray and others began to pray and uh, as pastors we went over and and did the the James 4 thing where we anointed her with oil and prayed for them and and they, they sought treatment but... Pat and Emily and Cora, they they didn't place their faith in treatment. They placed their faith in Christ. And gradually, almost sort of in a way that was bewildering to the people who were treating them and to others who struggled with the disease, they began to get better. And they began to get better. Until, I think just about a month ago, Emily had a final call with the doctor who was treating her. And the doctor said, you guys are free and clear. You're done. And they have no symptoms. And we can't trace that to anything else except the power of the Holy Spirit. So if anyone says, oh, the miracles of Acts have ceased, I don't think they have because we've seen that. Now I know that's a big story. I wanted to share another story of something that happened just this week that might seem a little bit smaller, but I, I just thought was, wow, is the Spirit at work. Some of you know Jonathan Horst, and I think he's not here today, but um, he uh, started coming to our church about eight months ago and said God you know really living in the world of brokenness sort of by his own admission and yet God was on the move in his life and in December he placed his his faith his trust in Christ and I think he's going to get baptized here this summer and as he's walking this out and he's having all kinds of challenges and difficulties in his life and one of those was his finances and he needed a job he was out of work and he found a job through home health care as he did that they said we need you to work on Sunday and he said, I need the money. And so we decided to work on Sunday. And he's gone through a couple of months and continued to sort of struggle with a lot of the issues that he was having and realized God's spirit was kind of speaking to him, saying, you know, there's a real value for your life and being part of church on Sundays. And as he felt that conviction, he said, okay, well, now I have attention because I have this job and I, have, I need to get this money and yet I know this is the good thing I need to do. And so we sat down and as we talked about it and he just said, I really feel this conviction that I, from the Spirit that I need to go and talk to my employer and tell him I can't work on Sunday. I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think, I think God wants you to do that. And he said, well, the problem is if I do that, they may say, okay, well, you can't have that client to work for. He said, and I'll go from full time down to just a couple hours a week and I can't live on that. And I said, yeah, that's a risk. I know. But be in faith and trust what the spirit is doing in your life then move and and do it and so we sat and we prayed and he said all right i'm gonna go do it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be in faith i'm gonna go i'm gonna go right now i'm gonna get my car i'm gonna drive over there i'm gonna tell my employer hey i want to work for you but i i can't work on sundays because i really need to be part of what god's doing in my church and so we said goodbye and he walked out the door and he didn't even make it to his car and the phone rang and it was his employer. And they said, hey, Jonathan, you're doing a great job. And yet we remember that back when you had your orientation, you said you didn't want to work on Sunday. We wanted to see. Do you want to not work on Sunday? And he said, yeah, I don't want to work on Sunday. And they said, great, we're going to change your schedule around so you can be free on Sunday. 
be with your church. He didn't even make it to his car before the Holy Spirit answered his prayer. Guys, the Holy Spirit is at work in our midst. And he's answering our prayers. And so I really think we're living in the book of Acts today. The book of Acts hasn't ended. We haven't reached the climax of the book. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit right now. Right in our midst. And are you on the lookout for it? Are you praying and trusting that God can move in ways, even though things are hard, even though sometimes you feel like you're up against a wall? Do you believe that we're living in this time? I do. And so we want to talk about this this summer here as we're going into this series on Acts. We're not going to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse, because that would take a long time. But we feel really led by the Holy Spirit to talk about a number of themes. And so Rich and I and Tim next week are going to be talking about a, a number of themes. And some of those themes, they include the Holy Spirit. If you come back next week, I think someone's getting married next Sunday, right? <laughs> the afternoon, I know a number of you involved with that wedding. But come anyway, if you, if you can, on Sunday morning. And Tim, I think that's our hook. Tim is going to be teaching about the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't slack off next week. And then we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the brotherhood of believers interacting with authorities. What's that about speaking in tongues? How do I share my faith? How do I resolve conflict? How, how am I led and how do I hear from God? How do I deal with suffering? And what do we know about the supernatural? And so those are some of the themes we're going to talk about here in the next couple of months and so I would encourage you here, I'm going to give you some homework. Your homework is to read the book of Acts. If you've never read it, this is a great chance for you to read it. If you have read it, start reading it again. Read a little bit each day here as we go through the summer and look for these themes. Look for the Holy Spirit at work in your own life.